For the ones who know that a little late is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, and our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com/keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com and Gusto. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. Gusto offers modern, easy payroll to benefits to small businesses across the country. They were even named Best Online Payroll by PC Mag. As a listener, you'll get three free months when you run your first payroll. Sign up and give it a try at gusto.com slash accelerate. That's gusto.com slash accelerate. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast continues to enjoy inclusion on lists of the best podcasts to listen to. As a matter of fact, uh, we were just uh, added to the list of 12 podcasts uh, for business and sales on allbusiness.com. And that is because of the guests who come on uh, the show with me. They share their expertise with all of you so that you can get the answers you need and do better things in your business. Today is no different. My guest today is Chris Cooper. When his first business almost went bankrupt, Chris sought a mentor and began chronicling his turnaround. That experience led to his first book, Two Brain Business. After thousands of hours spent one-on-one -on -one with business owners, hundreds of blog posts, and more interviews than he can recall, Chris now shares his lessons learned with over 2,000 business owners worldwide through his mentoring business, TwoBrainBusiness.com. Thanks so much for joining me today, Chris. Thanks a lot, Dan. Really happy to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you here. We're going to be talking about um, the, the four stages of entrepreneurship, and I would love it if you would tell us what they are, please. Yeah, so uh, after working with about 2,000 entrepreneurs worldwide, we find that everyone fits into one of four phases. There's the founder phase, the farmer phase, the tinker phase, and then finally the thief phase. Okay, wait. So, <laughs> I love these. Um, <laughs> tell me, um, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the thief phase. So, what sure. is that? In the thief phase, and not every entrepreneur reaches this phase, but picture Robin Hood. And Robin Hood, in the stories of old, he stole from the rich and he gave to the poor. And the thief phase is not really about stealing somebody else's possessions or ideas. It's really about redistribution of wealth. And so maybe you can picture the thief as a very successful entrepreneur who is mostly worried about redistributing his legacy and, or, you know, her, her personal net wealth. 
And so you can think of like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Um, you can think about the pledges that many really successful entrepreneurs make to de dedicate 50% of their, uh, their wealth to charities, stuff like that. And so in the yeah. fee phase, you know, you're really acting like Robin Hood and you're really saying, how can I help the people around me, my community? How can I leave a legacy uh, that creates a platform for others? Wow, that's really interesting. I can see that when you say it. And, and I get how some might not actually uh, get to that phase. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, you know, let's be honest. I mean, some entrepreneurs are, I, I, it feels like it has to do with where they're, um, where they want to go with their business. Would, would that be uh, like a, a fair statement that some people aspire to build something really big and, you know, for them really meaningful so that they have the opportunity to do more where other people, it's more of a, um, maybe a lifestyle business or, you know, this is just how they're going to feed their family. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, everybody has different goals. The problem that we've always encountered when we're mentoring other entrepreneurs is that the definition of success for an entrepreneur is not clear cut. It's not well defined. <laughs> and so, you know, I, my first business was a gym. And so we know that in the fitness industry, you have to have a push and a pull. You, you have to have a goal for people to reach and then you have to have, you know, some internal, external motivation to get them there. Well, the problem with entrepreneurship is the goal always seems to be more and more and more. And that's really murky. You know, nobody's ever satisfied and, and a lot of entrepreneurs burn themselves out. And so what yeah. we wanted to do is, was have people define their success in objectively measurable terms. So for some people that's to get to tinker phase and, and tinker phase is your business is running itself. You have time and financial freedom. You know, you could, be considered retired maybe, or you could go work at the donut shop every day that you own. It's up to you, but you have that choice. And at that point, you start to think about how can I give back to other people? How can I make opportunities for other people? And then eventually, after you've done that for a while, you start to think, how can I make sure this continues after I'm gone? Um, but you're right, not, not everybody makes it to thief phase, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, wow. I can see that when, when you, thank you for that description because that sure. um, m makes a lot of sense to me. So do you find that one phase is harder to move out of than others? Yeah, absolutely. Most entrepreneurs make it to farmer phase and then they get stuck. And that was me. So I had, you know, one staff person, he was amazing. He still is, he's still with me, you know, 14 years later. Um, but he was getting paid a little bit. I was getting paid a little bit, not enough. You know, we had no systemized processes. I had never written down, here's how we do this, or here's how we invoice people. Uh, our prices were just basically set based off what the competition was charging instead of what we needed to make. You know, I was just making a lot of mistakes and trying to do everything, wear all the hats myself. And that's really where I got ground down after about three or four years of owning a company found a mentor, uh, got introduced to books like The E-Myth, Good to Great. You know, this would have been around 2008. And yeah. started creating a system around myself so that people were interacting with my business instead of interacting with Chris. And that began the, the slow road to fixing the company and, and eventually moving out of farmer phase. So that's really interesting. Okay, so why do we get stuck in farmer phase? Well... You know, the way that uh, Michael Gerber wrote it in the E-Myth was you've bought yourself a job. And I think a lot of your listeners have probably read that book. But what happens is you open up a, a business based on a passion. You want to make your passion a career. So I make the best donuts. I want to sell donuts. The problem is that you make the best donuts. And so you want to be making the donuts all the time. But you also don't trust anybody to run the till for you. And also nobody can market the way that you can and nobody cleans the shop quite the way you do. And everybody else, you know, you can't send them out for supplies because they'll buy the expensive flour, whatever. So what happens is you wind up spending all of your time working, working, working in the business instead of working on the business 
And before you know it, you're not making any more money. You're working a 16 hour day. Your family is going, where are you at bedtime? And you're burned out. And really that's where most entrepreneurs get stuck is, is they've bought themselves a job with the worst boss in the universe themselves. Boy, this is so true. And, and <laughs> I, uh, experience people saying those exact things all the time. No one's going to do it as well as I do. I don't trust anyone to do this part. I have to be overseeing everything. It's, and when you said this thing about they're going to buy the most expensive flower, that cracked me up because I'm currently working with uh, a company where that is the concern, <laughs> and not flower. But, you know, that, that, that yeah, the one yeah. guy's going to go with, the brand new thing where someone else will cobble something together. It's like, okay, hang on a second. You know, maybe they're not going to do it as well as you to begin with, but you, you know, you're, you're, you're handcuffed to yeah. this business. You, you can't get out to be the visionary that is really probably the role that you should be playing. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's very true in every industry, but you know, my experience is in the service industry. And, and so um, you, you get hung up on that a lot. And really the answer, and I'm sure this is exactly what you tell your clients is you got to get it out of your head. You got to write it down, take pictures, right. video, whatever it takes. You know? Right. Yep. It's absolutely true. You have to have operating procedures. You have to, what I always say to them is God forbid a million times you got hit by a bus. You're not yep. dead, but you're in a coma. Who's going to know how to do this stuff and keep your business going? Yeah. That, that's, you, you have to think about it that way. You're, you're not being a very good leader if you're not training people and educating them and giving them the resources they need so that they can do the work and they can do it well enough. It doesn't have to be, it's, you know, it's never going to be exactly the way you're going to do it. You own it. <laughs> that's right. You know what? <laughs> And that's really the first exercise we do with most entrepreneurs is let's get everything out of your head and onto paper. And we call it the hit by the bus test too. And uh, that's a cathartic process, as you know. And so they start yeah. to calm down a little bit and suddenly it's not an emergency anymore. And looking back, this is exactly what my first mentor did with me. And, and I think there were psychological reasons, you know, more than, more than anything else. He just wanted me to feel like I was taking steps and this is something that everybody can do. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That, that's really interesting. So, so anybody, no matter how big or small their business, no matter if they're just even a one man band can go through that exercise and probably should go through that exercise. Yeah. So the exercise that we give people is what we call a, a time audit. So, if you wear a watch or you carry a stopwatch around or put an app on your phone and I just want you to write down what you do every, you know, every five minutes you look at your phone and if you're working on something that takes you an hour, you know, you're balancing your books or whatever, then you write down that that took me an hour. And then this is your list of tasks for the day. And then you group the tasks together. And when you have a group of tasks, you call that a role, just like Michael Gerber did. And we tell people to think about roles as like the hats that you wear in the business. And even in, even in small service companies, there are usually 10 or 12 different hats that you're wearing. You know, we went through this this morning with a t-shirt company. And um, so we said, okay, list all, the, list all the hats in your business. And they gave us eight or nine, but they were all operational. Here's the person that designs the graphic. Here's the person that cuts the graphic. Here's the person that works the, the ink press. I can't remember what it's called. You know, the problem is that that's only one side of your business and the other side is sales. And that, that was the first question we asked them was who sells? And they kind of had this, you know, facepalm moment of, oh my goodness, nobody. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. And that, that's really what two brain business means is you have to have like the, the left hemisphere, the logical side, the operational, and then the right hemisphere, the creative side is your sales and your marketing. And, um, most businesses are really, really good at one or the other, but not both. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that is so true. And I think it's true because of what you said about people go into business because they're passionate about something and they want to do it and they don't stop and think, 
okay, but this is a business. They just want to do the thing that they enjoy. That's right. You know, it's a, it's a huge myth out there that gets perpetuated um, in school that to be, to have a successful business, you have to be some kind of inventor. You have to make up this new product or service from scratch, but the really wealthy people, the people who make it to tinker or thief phases are really connectors. And they're the people who can take two existing ideas and say, you know, if I took a little of this and a little of that, and I introduced it to this tiny little niche market, it would really help them. And these are usually the people who do the best. Oh, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Why is that? Well, there's something that's called the, the curse of the innovator. And so, you know, if you're thinking about almost any inventor in history uh, who created something that changed the world, almost all of them died broke. And so the only money they made off their invention was by selling the patent to somebody like me who can connect their big idea with the market or with another idea that will make it palatable. And so it's usually the second person in, you know, she's going to make all the money because she's the one that can take your big idea to a market. Wow. That is so interesting. That That's fascinating to me. I'm, I'm sort of, uh, I'm a little stuck, but uh, I'm going to move on from there. I'll, I'll probably end up coming cool. back to it later. That's cool. Uh, I know. Thanks. Um, so, I'm imagining that there, there are challenges in each of the phases, and I'm wondering yeah. if you would share like what the biggest challenges in each of the phases of entrepreneurship. Yeah, so the, the founder phase, you're really just trying to break even. You know, you've taken this leap, you've, you've put yourself at risk, you know, you put your family's income at risk, maybe you've quit your day job or whatever, and your goal is just like, let's break even. It's just triage. The beautiful part about founder phase is when we meet entrepreneurs who are in that phase, they still have lots of energy. They're, they haven't been ground down, right? So when you see, you know, on social media, all these like hustle and grind hashtags, those are people in the founder phase. Um, some people can stay in that phase for a very long time, but it's high pressure and it burns a lot of people out. So that's, that's step one. In the farmer phase, and this will sound funny, but your goal is really to get fired. You want your business to run without you having to be there. And so, you know, you do your roles and tasks exercise, and then you do a value ladder exercise where you determine like, what is your effective hourly rate for the time that you spend in your business? And then you get rid of all the roles that are beneath that rate. And then you start working way up to higher value roles. And then the tinker phase, the biggest challenge uh, is you're going from working on a business to working on yourself as an entrepreneur. And my friend, Greg Crabtree, uh, whose company is the CFO for two brain business. He wrote a book called simple numbers. And in the book, he defines something called the Valley of death for most companies. This is between two and $5 million. You know, you're hiring people who are specialists. Now they know a lot more about their job than you do. You're, hiring ahead of income because these people are expensive. You know, you're kind of adding a C-suite or a, you know, a CSO, CFO, chief sales officer, uh, COO for the first time. And it costs money, you know, and you're not used to paying these salaries. And at the same time, you're dealing with more stress than ever. You're dealing with bigger numbers than you ever have before. And most of us are dealing with imposter syndrome too. Yeah. And then, you know, so, so in Tinker, that your job is really like to make yourself the best leader to evolve. And if that works, the beautiful thing is that you can turn around and, and teach that to other people. And so people who reach the Tinker phase at Two Brain Business turn into mentors and they mentor other owners for me. Or they start to think about their legacy and how am I going to take care of my kids? Or... Um, you know, how can I duplicate this idea four or five times over? How can I open five donut shops? And that's when they start entering into thief phase. And the, the challenge in thief phase is to never die. The first, the first real entrepreneur I ever met that inspired me, uh, his name is JJ Hillsinger. And he came into my high school 
business class and said, raise your hand if you're going to live to 200. And nobody did it. And then he said, raise your hand if you're going to live to 150. And nobody did it. And he said, you don't have time to reach your goals in 100 years. You're going to have to live to 150 to get there. So who's got a goal that they want to hit in their life? You know, and a few of us put our hands up and he said, you better plan to make it to 150 or you're not going to get there. So the, wow. Yeah. So a lot of, you know, your job in the tinker and thief phase is to take care of yourself, to last as long as you can, to keep your brain as sharp as you possibly can, and then to create something enduring. Uh, you know, maybe that's a, maybe that's a scholarship fund. You know, maybe that's a foundation. Maybe it's a charity. Maybe it's mentorship, you know? And so that's the struggle is how do I live forever in the phase? I see. I get it. Uh, that makes so much sense to me. I, I completely, I, I didn't, at first, you know, at first, you know, never die. Okay, come on already. But I, I, I get it. <laughs> it really is about your legacy, you living on, even after you, the human, are gone your uh, value is, is continuing. So, yeah. and you've mentioned this a couple of times. So I, I would like you to talk a little bit about mentorship and how important mentorship is. So talk about how important it is and, and really, you know, why it is so crucial for success. Well, you know, here's how dumb I am. So I was a fitness coach for 12 years before I realized I don't know anything about business. And I thought that if I was just the best fitness coach in town, that I would have the most successful business. And that's wrong. And so when I finally kind of hit the bottom and uh, my wife and I had just had an argument because she was buying the quote unquote expensive cheese at the grocery store, <laughs> uh, which, you know, we just touched on that a minute ago. It's crazy. But um, a friend of mine said, uh, there's, there's a guy in town. He just saved our steel plant. His legacy project is to mentor five entrepreneurs before he moves to Florida and I can get you in. And this was right. I was rock bottom. I mean, I wrote this guy a check for $500 that should have bounced. And uh, this guy was like one of these Lee Iacocca stories, you know um, you know, he came to town and he accepted shares of stock in our steel plant instead of a wage because they couldn't afford it. And five years later, stock shares had gone from 70 cents to about $54, you know? And so he was good and he was leaving. Yeah. Uh, so he started mentoring me and I immediately realized like, I just skipped over 10 years of anguish, uh, you know, wasted money, wasted time, stress on my family, you know, poor health. How else can I do this? So after working with Dennis, I started looking for the next mentor. And honestly, every single mentor that I've ever had has really helped me take my business to the next level. You know, so with Dennis, I worked on my first company and then launched my second company. A few years later, when I was working on Two Brain Business, you know, we started with 16 clients. Three years in, we have 700 around the world and a, a, a team of mentors, you know, worldwide in, uh, like 11 time zones or something, but that's all because of mentorship. And if I tried to figure this out on my own, uh, I wouldn't have. Yeah. So, right. Well, maybe you would have, but it would have taken longer than you had really. Maybe. I mean, I think everybody needs a push and a pull and, and the push is starvation. You know, that's the easy one, but the pull is, here, here's a person, here's a model of success, right? They've been exactly where I am. I can call them up at 10 at night and be like, wow, I am not good at this. I got to sell this company. And they'll, they'll say, yeah, I've been there. You know, and that's, yeah. that's mentorship. It's the only thing that's worked for me. And now that's what my business is. You know, I, our company, you know, we've been approached by several people saying, if you just sold an online course, you would make 10 times as much money as you do. Um, but the truth is like we provide mentorship because that's what works. Right. Right. People need that. I think so. Hands on conversation. Yeah, I do too. 
I do too. I think that is a huge point. So I, I want to take a quick sponsor break, but then I have another question for you about mentorship on Great. the other side. Okay. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. And if you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are Two Brain Business 2.0 by our guest, Chris Cooper, and Leading Loyalty by Lena Renee. So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. As I mentioned, today we are speaking with Chris Cooper about the four phases of entrepreneurship. So, Chris, um, uh, my other question about entrepreneurship is this. Okay. Is it, does it matter or is it important to find a mentor who has actually been in your same industry or uh, does that not matter? How do you figure out who a good mentor is? That's a great question. Um, I think that if you're in founder or farmer phase, you want a mentor who's been in the same industry, who has been through the exact same problems that you have. In the tinker phase, maybe you don't uh, because you want a, a completely different perspective on things. And again, once you leave the farmer phase, you're not working on your business anymore as much as you're working on yourself as an entrepreneur and a leader. And so that becomes deeper, uh, but also broader. And, and you don't need a industry-specific mentor anymore. Well, that makes perfect sense. Thank you. Uh, okay. that I, yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks. I, I get that. You know, for example, my mentor now is Marcy Swenson, and um, she's never been in the fitness industry before. Most of my clients, 90% are in the fitness industry. You know, there are a few dozen who aren't. Um, but Marcy and I mostly work around leadership, staff relationships, and um, managing my direct reports. So it doesn't matter that she's from the software world. Right. Right. Exactly. And, and as you mentioned, sometimes it's good to get a perspective from a totally different place. Cause this is one of the things that I hear people say, they'll say, yeah, but you know, have you ever worked with my industry before? Well, you don't understand my industry. It's like, okay, well, you know what? That doesn't necessarily matter. Sometimes it's good to hear about how people in other industries deal with this sort of situation because sometimes business is just business. That's right. You know, some, the best mentors are warm, but detached and they can see things objectively. And sometimes being outside the industry really helps clarify the picture for the mentor. That's a great point. I like that detached. I'm big on detached. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then you can really be objective. That's it. And, and, you know, that's the hardest part of my job as a mentor is to remain detached and objective because, you know, I've been on the phone with clients and it's midnight and some, one of us is crying, you know, and they're, they're worried that their, their top staff person or their top salesperson is leaving and I feel for them, but it's my job to stay detached enough to see the long view. Yeah. Right. Right. Because that's why you're there, and someone has to be able to help yeah. them see the long view because they're in the moment. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, interesting. So you say in the book that entrepreneurs should regularly fire their worst customers, and I'm a huge proponent of trying not to even get bad customers. <laughs> but when, <laughs> yeah. You know, to start with. Um, yeah. but, but explain – why this is an important thing for entrepreneurs to do, please. Well, so the entrepreneur's hierarchy of responsibility is, you know, your, your family comes first. The business exists to serve you. But next on that hierarchy is your clients. And then third is your staff because your staff is there to serve the clients. The, the clients are there to support your family, basically. Yeah. The problem is that if you have a negative client, that is going to affect you. You know, you're going to be stressed and distracted. Uh, 
it's going to affect your other clients because they're going to be distracted by, you know, this one negative person, you know, if your clients interact together and it's also going to affect your staff. So, you know, one bad seed can really make for a horrible day. And I'll tell you, when I was a personal trainer, you know, way back 2005, um, I had a client and I knew I could help her. You know, she had some depression issues. I knew exercise was the answer and it really did help her. Unfortunately, I would see her for about once a week. And by the time her next appointment rolled around, she was just in a horrible state again. And many times she would come to the appointment crying or she would be 30 minutes late for a 60 minute appointment. She'd sit in her car or she would just be mad and, and we'd get nothing done. And so her appointment would be Tuesday morning. All Monday, I would be stressed thinking about this appointment. Tuesday morning, I'd be dreading it. And by the time she left in Tuesday afternoon, I would be emotionally exhausted. And then, you know, by Thursday, I would be caught up and giving my best service to my clients again. But when I passed her off to another coach, the same thing happened. And, and that coach got exhausted. And then the people, you know, my clients who interacted her, with her, they were kind of brought down by her too. So, you know, to an entrepreneur who's really doubting, like, can I afford to fire this client? We tell them that it's their duty to do the best thing for the majority of their clients. And if one person is negatively impacting the experience for everybody else, then they have to do it. It's the right thing. I completely agree with you. Completely agree with you. I, I think they're, it, it, it's like a virus. They are so yeah. destructive to everybody and everything that you cannot succeed if you have, I mean, I, I think you shouldn't have any, but sometimes you don't know. You can go through all right. the paces, do all the right things, and then you find out, wow, this just doesn't work. The sooner you end that relationship, the, the better, because all of that negative energy and negative feeling dramatically impacts every single aspect of your business. There's no question about it. Yeah, there's got to be a name for this. And it's the opposite of the Midas touch where everything <laughs> this person touches, you know, turns to poop. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, so true. Yeah, you should coin something. <laughs> <laughs> it's all yours. Yeah. It's all yours. I've got about 70, <laughs> 70 website domains already registered. I've got enough. But um, that's so funny. But, the, you know, the thing is, Diane, like you and I both learned this the hard way, I'm sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like we let it go way too long until we had to fire them. Yep. Um, and, you know, there's, there's one great example of mentorship where you can struggle along with this person, give them another chance, another chance for a year, two years, driving yourself crazy, negatively affecting your business. But a, a detached, caring mentor can say, you need to fire that person. Yeah. And save you all that money and stress. Yeah, it's so true. It, it, it is absolutely. I mean, I, I have a client who, whenever they know intellectually that they, they have a client or even a staff person who just shouldn't be there, but they don't want to be the henchman, they will bring me in to <laughs> sort of do a review. I'm not kidding you. And then I'll go, okay, you need to fire that person. Or, you know what, you need to get rid of that client. And I'll go, okay. <laughs> like, not a problem. No yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a riot. Yeah. It, it doesn't happen all the time, but I, I, you know, maybe every, I don't know, year or two, they'll call me up and go, okay, could you come over here? <laughs> sure. They just need that. I don't know if it's validation or that they can say, okay, listen, you know, this is what our advisor's telling us we got to do. I, I don't know. Maybe it gives them strength. Cause I know that they don't like lay it on, on me. Like they don't say, well, Diane told us we had to do this. It just gives them that, yeah, they're right. They do need to do it, and it's okay, I guess. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's I, interesting. I've never met anybody who enjoyed the process, but if you're yeah. listening and you do, there's an amazing business opportunity because I will hire you to come and fire my worst clients in a heartbeat <laughs> for me. I, I just think it's, I think the great thing about being a mentor or an advisor and being detached and being on the outside is you, you see so clearly what is good and what is not so good about an environment or a person or, uh, you know, a relationship 
that, and if you have your client's best interest in mind, you are going to tell them the truth. You are going to say, this isn't working for you. And it's not working for them. It's not as if the other person is really happy. That's right. Yeah, good point. Relationship. Yeah, they're not happy either. So let, let's just, you know, stop. Just let's stop. It's better for everybody. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so I'm, I'm with you on firing the worst customer. I, I yeah. And, and when I say I'd prefer people didn't get them to begin with, I call it chasing bad money, that, that we do it because we think we need the revenue. When the truth is, if we would let that revenue go, we'd have so much other good revenue coming to us that it, it would, you know, it, it would over uh, compensate for that one bad prospect. That's right. You know, we all work too hard to work that hard for one person. Yeah, right. Exactly. Now, speaking of that, I would love it if you would share with the listeners tips for hiring the right staff. Well, I, I have amazing who luck. And this is a term I just stole from Michael Gerber. Um, it What seems to happen is that the right person appears when I need them. And, and that's happened with mentors in my past. Um, that's happened with staff quite a bit. But what I tell my clients is um, if you have a person that's maybe a six out of 10, seven out of 10 even, what they're actually doing is preventing a 10 out of 10 from taking that spot. Now, don't worry about who the 10 out of 10 is right now. I think we all suffer through some pretty mediocre relationships in our, in our lives because we're like, well, it's better than nothing, you know? Yeah. But, you know, Emerson wrote, hardly know when demigods go, the gods arrive. And what he means is like the, the, the perfect candidate is not going to show up while somebody else is sitting in their chair. So wow. I am quick to fire. Um, and what that usually means is that there are often vacant spots. So when we hire somebody, uh, they go through like a, a trial period first, right? A project-based trial. Um, we just hired an amazing girl named Tiffy. She's going to take over web design on the back end of TwoBrain. And so we started with um, a project for about six or 700 bucks, you know, build this online course for us. Turned out fantastic. Then we said, okay, well, next we're going to try something for three months and we're going to see if this works, you know? And I just had breakfast with her last Friday and it's going great. Um, but if somebody else tried out, couldn't fulfill that first project, we would just thank them for their time and move on, you know? So we, we do tend to take baby steps. And because I am really bad at confrontation, every first contract is a really short one. That's really smart. I like that a lot. And what do you say to someone who says, okay, but I can't afford to have that spot vacant? That's a, that's a great question. I mean, then you've got you've to balance it. So the first thing that you do is we go in four phases. So first we look within and we say, is there somebody else who's in the wrong seat or should be in this seat? You know, and how can we train them up? So the first thing that we would do is take the mediocre person and we would say, well, we want to know exactly how you do your job. So we itemize exactly what they're doing. The first, the main reason we want to do that is because we want to help them improve. You know, we're not trying to sabotage them or anything. But just in case a replacement is coming, we want to make that replacement as seamless as possible. So then we'll say, okay, is there somebody within who can kind of graduate up into this role? If not, then we'll look at like a, a competitor or somebody who's doing something similar. So if you're in a micro gym, this might be a personal trainer in your town who wants to come and work for you. You have to find them. If you're in, you know, um, a, a different service industry, you know, you're running out of physical rehab clinic, you know, maybe you want to talk to massage therapists and talk to them about moving their practice under your roof, something like that. The third step would be uh, what we call blank slate, which is you start looking at local universities and colleges. And at that point, you're looking for somebody that doesn't have any trade knowledge. They have theory, they don't have a lot of practical application, but you know, you're getting a blank canvas. And so you hire for personality. And then you know, the fourth step would really be like start advertising for the job, 
And that's where things get really dicey if you have somebody else in that seat. So <clears throat> the first thing is, if somebody is in the seat and they're not doing a great job, but you can't live without them, you first have to assume the reason that they're not doing a good job is because you haven't told them clearly enough what good is. And we, we find this more and more often. Um, I don't want to pick on younger people because most people are younger than me, but um, a lot of the time you have to kind of parent new staff. You know, if, if they haven't been told that on time equals 10 minutes early, then they just don't know that. And many right. don't. Right. You know, my definition of clean is tidy. Somebody else's definition of clean is spotless, you know? So you have to define that for that. The second thing is you have to give them. So the first thing is you have to give them a clear indication of what good is. The second thing is you have to give them an emotional reason to succeed. Like, do they know how, how their performance affects your clients or the people that they care about? The third thing is they have to know the consequences of not succeeding. And usually if you go through those three steps, you can turn a mediocre employee into, you know, an eight out of 10 at least. And then the fourth step is we would rather have you as a client than a staff person. And at that point, you know, it's like that Seinfeld episode where Jerry wants to break up with the one roommate and start dating the other one. You know, there's a balance there. <laughs> It's, uh, I thank you so much for that. I, I, sure. I so agree with all of that. And, and I think it's so important for the listeners to really embrace the idea that many times the person doesn't know what they don't know, or you haven't been clear with your expectations and the consequences, good or bad, of them hitting those expectations or not hitting those expectations. Cause I, I find a lot of business owners don't communicate enough and clearly enough and, and do, you know, don't necessarily follow through with whatever those consequences are. So people are sort of walking around, not really tethered to outcome. Right. Exactly. You know, something that we're all guilty of is we, we project knowledge onto other people. We literally think they can read our minds. Yeah. And so, you know, if, if you want to have a clean donut shop every night, you should make a checklist for your staff and take pictures of it when it's perfect and say, this is yeah. what clean means. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's really not that hard, is it? No, it, you just have to, Again, you have to have somebody that's, who's detached from the situation to say, how do you clean the donut shop, Chris? You know? Right, right, exactly. Yeah, th this is really just incredibly valuable. So um, I, I, as we're talking about this, this other thought is coming to my head about you know, uh, overwhelm and burnout. Yeah. And, and a lot of entrepreneurs feel it, they express it, and you can sort of see why that they do wear a lot of hats. There's an awful lot to be responsible for. Uh, what advice would you give someone who was feeling that way to, you know, combat those feelings? Well, you're right. You know, entrepreneurship is cool. Now social media fills in all the cracks in our life. And so everywhere you turn, you're going to hear great ideas. The problem is overwhelm. You just cannot do all of it. And so many entrepreneurs for a while will confuse busyness with progress. Yeah. And, and what you need is a filtering system. You need to know what, which of these things should I do now? That, that's really a mentor's role. Uh, but we have developed a test for this, uh, twobrain.com forward slash test. And then what that tells you is, okay, here's which phase of entrepreneurship you're in. Here's where you should be spending your time. Here are your goals you know, and here are the steps that you need to take to get to the next phase. So overwhelm is tough. And when we start somebody uh, through a mentorship process, we start with a 12 week sprint that we call the incubator. And what makes that process so powerful is not that we're giving them a thousand new ideas. It's that we're putting blinders on them so that they can only see one step ahead at a time. 
And so they take step one, step two, step three, and instead of overwhelming them with 300 things that we want to do, we say, you know, here are 50 things that you're going to get done. And at the end of that process, they look back and they say, oh my goodness, you know, we've, we've doubled revenue in 12 weeks. That's incredible. But what did it was never, oh, here's a great idea or something that you've never heard of. It's action. <laughs> I love that. That is really great. Thanks. That, that is, I, I can see that working. That is tremendous. I love the idea of blinders and just staying, you know, sort of um, micro-focused, you know, uber-micro-focused on something. That, that is terrific. Um, if you had one piece of advice from the book that you wanted listeners to take away, what do you think it would be? Um, that's a tough one, but I, I think really the, the best piece of advice in the book is, you know, know what you should be working toward. Mm. I want every entrepreneur to be successful, but to get there, you really have to know what success is. You have to have a very clear picture of it in your mind and you have to work backward from that. And, you know, the most successful people in sports and business in life will say, oh, I had this goal and it was always crystal clear in my mind. And, you know, I knew I was getting closer. The problem with entrepreneurship is there's no scoreboard. There's no judge saying, yeah, you made it. Um, all there are, are ideas. And so the, the point of this book was to give people goalposts to aim for and um, to define success and help them define success for themselves. That is so critically important. I'm, I'm really glad that, that that was the one thing. I could not agree with you more. I, it, is, it is so, uh, it, it, it's this weird, it's invigorating, uh, but it's also challenging. And entrepreneurs really do have that, oh, I could do that. Oh, I could do that. Oh, let's do this. That sounds like fun. Here's an idea someone gave yeah. me or an idea I have. Yeah. And, 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 and you said something at the beginning, which I feel like, you know, circles around to this, which is everybody's definition of what success looks like is different. Yeah. It, it comes from, right, some internal place. So grabbing onto that and staying with, you know, keeping that as your North Star, I can see how that could be, could make all the difference. Yeah, we start everyone with an exercise called perfect day. And it's, you know, you, you go through this process of defining a, what a perfect day looks like in your life. And that really helps us kind of set our sights on how much time does this person want to spend in her business? How much money does she want to make? You know, how much time does she spend? Where did her values come from? That kind of thing. And then from there, we can take the test and say, okay, well, now that we know point B, your perfect day, let's establish point A, where you're starting from. And then it's relatively simple to map out the steps in between. And the mentor's job is just to keep you on pace down that path. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of keep guardrails up. Like the picture I have in my head is guard, like, you know, guardrails so that you don't go off the cliff, so that you stay on the road no matter what else is going on around you. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are really surprised in the book when I talk about how much I pay for business mentorship, because it's, you know, usually around $1,800 an hour. And my mentors never give me ideas. It, you know, Marcy or Dan will say, what are you working on right now? And then I'll say, Oh, I've got these four things. And we'll spend the next hour cutting that list down to one. And that is the value of the mentorship because if I spend the next week or month working on that one thing, I'll make a way more progress. Right. And that's what it's about, right? Yeah. As you said before, busyness is confused with progress or productivity, you know, whatever it is. And, and that really is what it's about. How can I accomplish something? Yep. Wow. Yeah. It's so important. Wow, Chris, I really appreciate this information. And will you tell the listeners how they can find you and how they can get the book and anything else you think they need to know? Yeah, the book's on Amazon.com. It's Founder, Farmer, Tinker, Thief. Um, it 
is it's actually a six category bestseller. So it's pretty easy to find and it'll be on audible by the time this interview comes out. Um, Sean Woodland is the narrator of the audiobook, and he's got a, this fantastic booming game of Thrones type voice. Um, yeah. And, and all the other information is at twobrain.com, which is the name of our mentorship practice, uh, two brain business. So the best starting point is really twobrain.com forward slash test, figure out what phase you're in, and then we'll start helping you filter which advice you need to take now. That's terrific. Thank you. I, I, that, sure. that, and I'll make sure that that link is uh, in the show notes. That is wonderful. Well, sure. thank you so much. And I um, want to make sure that I thank our sponsors. Uh, well, first, I'd like to thank the listeners because I always like to do that. Yeah. Um, if right, I mean, come on, they're they're what we're here for. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah. So thank all of you. And guys, this is a really really important episode for you moving forward in your business and being successful. It it really you want to think about what you are. Um, how do I want to say this? You want to think about what you want to figure out what phase you're in and then how you're spending your time and are you spending your time in sync with what phase you are in and, and reach out to Chris, get the book, you know, find out where you're at because it matters. Uh, so now I'm going to thank our sponsors, uh, audible.com and gusto to get a free trial of audible.com and a free audiobook, Just go to, audibletrial.com slash business growth to sign up for payroll processing. You'll love sign up for a demo of gusto today at gusto.com slash accelerate listeners get three free months when they run their first payroll as always continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of accelerate your business growth, goodbye and good day. Okay, parachute's ready. Boy, the things I go through to get on all on rates as low as 0.99% APR for 60 months on new vehicles with PenFed. You are aware that you don't have to be a military member to save hundreds on your auto loan, aren't you? Anyone can join PenFed. As someone terrified of heights, I probably should have looked into that. Probably. Drop me off at the shore. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash autos or call 1-800-247-5626. Advertised rates available through the PenFed car buying service. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform, and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.